Well, it's a great privilege uh, to be here this morning, and it, it's good to it's good to be with you. If you've got a Bible, just keep it open at uh, John chapter four, on page five one eight in the White Bibles and, and nine eight four in the Blue Bibles. We're going to be concentrating really on the first of the uh, episodes here with the with the woman at the well. Before we do that, let, let's pray together. Let's come for the Lord in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, we thank you that you persist with us. Father, at times when we fail to trust your word, when we fail to, to, to believe the things that you say, when we so easily believe the lies uh, that the enemy speaks to us of, have you really said? Father, we pray you'd forgive us for that. Help us this morning as we, as we come round your word to trust it. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit might open our hearts and our minds to receive from you your words, Father. Uh, Father, we, we know that uh, we need you this morning to take a hold of us uh, by your word. Let these things sink deep into our hearts so that by your grace, Father, we can live out your word and be obedient to our wonderful Saviour, Jesus. And so we ask it in his name. Amen. I'm sure most of you will be familiar with uh, the famous five. Uh, my eldest two, James and Erin, they uh, like the stories of the famous five. Uh, but have you ever heard of the Orca five? Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCauley and Roger Uderian. Have you ever heard of those names, the Orca five? On the 8th of January... 1956, these five young men are, are in a small seaplane. They're, they're flying over the coast of the Ecuadorian uh, rainforest and they're all excited. Because what they've just seen uh, as they've been flying over the coast is they've seen some, some tribes people coming along the coast to, to where they had set up a base camp. These five men, this is, this is what they've been working for, this is what they've been waiting for, this is what they've been praying passionately for. To meet these tribes, men and women from the Orcas. Over the past year, or well, the previous year, as missionaries, they've given up uh, their jobs, they've given up uh, their livelihoods because they felt the call of God to, to reach these Orca Indians in the rainforests of Ecuador. Now, to reach them, it meant them overcoming. So many obstacles that seemingly were in the way. Cultural differences, language differences. So many differences and difficulties that they had to overcome to reach these awkward. It required sacrifice from them to, to give up certain things that they were accustomed to in their lives in order to fulfill what they felt God had called them to to, to reach these tribes people. What would drive these young men, after uh, most of them with young families, to give up their comfortable lives in, in America, as it were, to reach these people in the Ecuadorian rainforest? One of the Orca Five, Jim Elliott, wrote these words, and they've become uh, quite famous. You might know them. He, he wrote these in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep 
to gain what he cannot lose. Let's go back to that scene. The, the five are in that aeroplane flying over the jungle. They spot these people. They're, they're coming to where they'd arranged. And they're excited because here is going to be some meaningful contact. They have had contact before this point, but meaningful contact. Maybe the first contact of building a bridge to them. To be able to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to these people who had no hope of hearing it otherwise. Well, those words that Jim Elliot spoke, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's become prophetic. As a few days Later, having had no radio contact and a search party sent out by the wives, they find five bodies speared to death. Tragedy. They've given up everything, overcome so many obstacles. These wives have given up their husbands, literally, and for what good? Seemingly. Just at the point they're about to reach them, tragedy strikes. Now you and I are probably not going to be called to reach tribes people in the Ecuadorian rainforest, that might be true. But we are called by God, aren't we, to reach those around us, our, our neighbours, our friends, our family, those in this town in Otley. We're not probably going to risk our lives doing that in order to reach others. But we do have to be willing to overcome certain obstacles that seemingly lie between us and those outside, the lost, in order to reach them. We do have to live by those words that Jim Elliot spoke of, of giving up what we cannot, uh, giving up what we cannot keep to gain that which we cannot lose. In this passage in, in John 4, we see Jesus overcoming obstacles to reach this woman. He has to take certain risks. And it's that that I want to focus on here this morning. Some of the obstacles are, are there in the way, as it were, between us and reaching those outside the church with the gospel, to reaching the lost. And what types of obstacles lie between you and reaching somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Those in our community, those around this building. Because the types of obstacles that we face... When we face them, they can either seem too big for us to, to overcome, so we can get easily discouraged. Or we do overcome them, but they always seem to be there. We can be worn down by the effort it takes to overcome obstacles to reach others. But I think we can be helped as we look to Jesus here. And look to how he overcame certain obstacles to reach this woman at the well. Now, but now before we come to do that, it's imperative that we understand what motivated Jesus, what what is driving Jesus in this passage to overcome the obstacles that lay before him in reaching this woman. Just look at verse twenty-three for me. Jesus says, "But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him." Here's the first thing. The hour is coming and he's now here when God calls people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Indeed, the Father is the one who is seeking worshippers. And when Jesus says the hour is coming and he's now here, he's pointing forward. This happens a lot in John's Gospel. The hour points us forward to the cross. 
When Jesus will be raised up, when he will die for our sins, when he will face God's wrath for our sins. And the hour is coming and he's now here. It is through the cross, it's because of the cross, because of Jesus going to the cross, that the Father can call worshippers to himself. And so they worship him in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking worshippers. This is what he's driving Jesus, isn't it? His whole mission in coming to the earth is to make this possible so that the biggest obstacle in coming to know God, our sin, that separates us from God, he will overcome that through the cross and the resurrection. The Father seeks worshippers. That is a great truth for us to grasp this morning. And the second one is this, if you just uh, look with me a, a few verses further on, verse 34. Jesus talking to the disciples says, Jesus said to them, the disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. The father seeks worshippers. It is a joy that the sustenance of Jesus to make that happen. The very work that his father had given him to do, Jesus loves to do it. That is his food. That's what he lives by. That's his sustenance. That's what's keeps him going is to accomplish the work that God had given him to do. I think before we look at any obstacles to reaching those outside the church, this is a foundation that we have, that we need to grasp, to overcome every obstacle that we face. The Father is seeking worshippers, it is our joys, his churches, his people, to do the work that he has given us to do. Father is the one seeking reconciliation with people in Otley. The Father is the one who is seeking to bring forgiveness into the lives of the people of Otley and around. It is the Father's will to bring peace into the lives of people in Otley and around. And the greatest obstacle has already been demolished by Jesus. That can happen because he went to the cross. It is, our, is it our food? Is it our sustenance? Can we say those words with Jesus? It is my food to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. But Jesus has said, hasn't he? He's given this commission to work alongside him here and now. To make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he has given and to baptise them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's binding on us this morning, isn't it? On you and on me, whether in Otley or in Nidderdale or wherever. The mission is there for us. Knowing, believing, and living these two things that the Father seeks, and it should be our, our desire, our work to follow that mission, to reach the lost. That is a catalyst, I believe, before we move on, to overcoming any seeming hurdles that lie between us in the church and those who are outside of the church. But if we grasp that, then those things are the things that are driving us as a church and we can overcome any obstacle. Here's the first obstacle I want to notice in this text that lie between Jesus and reaching this woman. And it's a really simple one. It's a very obvious one, actually, and that's fatigue. Tiredness. Just look with me in verse 6. Jesus is travelling from... The north to the south, sorry, from the south to the north to go to Galilee. They go through Samaria. 
And in verse 5 it says, He comes to the town in Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, that's about midday. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus had left Judea, he's travelling by foot to Galilee in the north of Israel, a journey of about 70 miles, maybe two days journey. And they come to Sychar in Samaria and Jesus is weary, he is tired from his journey. This is the hottest part of the day, he's hungry as well. As it says in verse 8, the disciples had gone away to buy food. He's thirsty as well, isn't he? He asks for a drink. He's tired, he's hungry, he's thirsty. Jesus is physically weak. No doubt emotionally drained, mentally fatigued, energy levels depleted. And when all these things come together, what do we have but a, but a tired person? And when we're tired, it's hard to feel up to doing much, isn't it? Much else. It's hard to deal with people, it's hard to to give yourself for others when we are tired. Now think about this, he's weary, he's sat by this well to rest. And as he rests, perhaps leaning back against the well, he hears the footfall of someone coming towards him. He could have let the woman come and draw water. And not a word said between them. And the woman left, leave. He's tired. Has he got the energy to deal with somebody and the mess of their lives? But because he's driven by these deeper things, that the the father is seeking worshippers, his sustenance is to do his will, he overcomes that tiredness, he overcomes that fatigue to engage her in conversation. Now, it's only a conversation, what's the problem? It's not a chit-chat about the weather, is it? That, That doesn't cost us much. But I'm sure you know well that when you talk to somebody in and you want to talk to them about their souls, things things that are a little bit deeper, that costs us. It is emotionally draining to do that, to talk to people on a, diff, uh, on a deeper level. Now, it would be easy to think, well, well, Jesus is God, isn't he? So it's easy for him to do those things, but the danger is that we, we don't want to make Jesus too other, too different to us. There's a sense in which that is very true. He alone is God. But the scripture is also clear that he's fully human, like me and you, made in every respect like us, tempted in every way we attempted. So Jesus knows what it is to be physically exhausted, emotionally drained, to, to feel like there's, there's nothing left in the tank. So tiredness and all that leads us to being tired people, physically, emotionally, mentally. For most of us, I think this is going to be a regular occurrence. For most of you, you're going to be busy. In your day-to-day lives, you are busy at work, perhaps with family, with, with other concerns that you have going on around you. You're busy in church. You're anything like us in Nidderdale, small church requires that more people do more things. You'll be involved in quite a few different things. And it can seem like your life can just be giving over, giving over, giving over of your time and of your energies. And sometimes we feel fatigued. And sometimes it is very appropriate for us to rest. Sometimes we need to rest. 
And yet sometimes there's going to be an opportunity to minister that presents itself, that though you may feel drained, you need to gather yourself and go to it. There are going to be times when you come back and you've got to go out to a youth club or something, or another group that you're a part of, or you're, or you're leading. Or you're going to do some evangelism on, on the weekend, and you feel tired, and you don't feel up to it. And you need to gather yourself and go to it. Uh, perhaps you've been involved in ministry for years, and you're older now than you were a few years ago, and you don't feel you've got the physical stamina anymore to keep up with the demands of being in a small church, and ministry, and family, and all sorts. You don't feel like you've got what's needed to deal with other people, and the mess that they bring. Emotional. Stress. Whatever you are, whatever position you are in, here's the first thing. Jesus knows how you feel. He knows what it is to be tired, to feel drained. He knows what that feels like. But Jesus also knows how to recognize an opportunity when it arises. He knows how to gather himself and to give of himself for the sake of somebody else. And so as we come to our merciful high priest, the times when we feel we've not got it within us, we can simply pray, Jesus help me. I feel tired. Give me the wisdom to meet this opportunity. Give me the strength I need because the Father is seeking worshippers and it is my food to do your will. That's the first obstacle, tiredness. The second obstacle is this, I don't know how else to frame this, but difference difference you meet people and they're very different here this is not surprising isn't it we meet people that are so different to us different backgrounds different ages different interests different lifestyles and so the obvious thing is we will always be meeting people who are very different to us we're going to be spending our time with hopefully people who are very different to you and to me Talk about things that you probably wouldn't talk about. Who use language that you will not use. Who care about things that you probably don't really care about. And all those things come together to create a little bit of an obstacle. A little bit of a barrier that can just about put you off enough to not willing to overcome that obstacle. They're, They're too different to me. Well, there's plenty of differences there, isn't there, between Jesus and this woman. He's a Jewish man. She's a Samaritan woman. There are barriers of culture and religion. And more than that, actually, she wasn't the sort of woman that a respectable Jewish rabbi should be hanging around with. Even her own people are not that happy to associate with her, are they? Hence, she's going up at the hottest part of the day by herself to gather water. There's a reason for that which we come to. Even this woman is surprised that Jesus is attempting to overcome the differences between her. Look in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A woman of Samaria. Now, Jesus is the greatest rabbi, the greatest teacher, isn't he? He's a saviour. And does he care about social conventions or religious respectability? I don't think he does. I don't think he cares for either, does he? He will reach anybody with the good news of himself. 
Because he has already crossed so many divides, hasn't he? Becoming man, becoming human like us. He's bringing the good news, the awaited salvation that God had promised. He's not going to let social conventions or religious respectability get in the way of him. He will reach anybody. So what does Jesus do? There's so many differences between them. First, he just finds common ground. He asks her for something. He doesn't expect her to come to him. He doesn't expect her to to start the conversation with him. He doesn't expect her to overcome the differences that existed between them. He begins. He initiates the relationship. It's hard, isn't it? If you've been in church a long time, if you were brought up in church, and because we love the Lord and we want to be with other Christians, and we love meeting together, it's easy over time to lose touch with the outside world, as it were. It's easy over time to become engulfed in a Christianized bubble. Where all the people we know best, all the people you will interact with this week, are all going to be mostly church folk. And though there are vastly differences between, or vast differences between us, we have what unites us as our shared faith. And so for some it's easy, it's easy to, to come to a point in your life where you, where you realise that most of the people you know are all Christians. And so when you do meet someone who's not a Christian, it's easy to feel a little bit out of your depth. You don't know how to talk to somebody. It's not. It's so easy to, to focus on the differences between you and them. It, it suddenly becomes a great obstacle. But how does Jesus overcome this obstacle? I think what's important to notice is that Jesus simply relates to this woman... As a human being, as one made in the image and likeness of God, as a person. He doesn't relate to her as a a particular representative of a a certain group or type. A Samaritan, a woman, an adulterer, a social outcast. Now first and foremost, he's a person who needs God's grace. And Jesus is the only one who can give her that grace. That has to be our starting point, doesn't it? In any interaction with anybody outside the church, as representatives of Christ, we, we start from this position. It, it's easy to see people who perhaps are representatives of, of different subgroups in our culture. They may be gay, they may be transgender, they may be too old or too lost or too mixed up or, or too different. But as we come to them, whoever they are, We come to one who desperately needs the love of God and the grace of God in their lives. And Jesus is the only one who can give that to them. To whoever they are, whatever they might have done, however mixed up they may be, however many differences exist between you and that person, you have the only hope that they need, they desperately need, in Jesus. So that's the second obstacle, differences. Are we willing to overcome the obstacle of difference to reach others for Christ. A third obstacle that can be and exist. Spiritual ignorance. That's a big one, isn't it? Spiritual ignorance. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. The Apostle Paul wrote. 
When it comes to the good news of Jesus, when it comes to understanding who he is, we are all spiritually ignorant. That is a big obstacle that needs to be overcome. I was brought up in church. I heard many sermons, many youth talks on Jesus. I could have easily talked religious talk. And in some ways, perhaps I thought I was a Christian. But it wasn't until Christ broke into my life that at that point I understood who Jesus was. What it meant to be a sinner, what it meant to turn your life over to Jesus. And today, people in our country, around Otley, though we have a Christian heritage, people don't know what it is. People don't know what church is. People don't really know what Christians believe. There's a huge obstacle of ignorance. (laughs) And so as we look at this passage, Jesus He wants to talk to her about spiritual things, doesn't he? He wants to talk to her about her soul. Jesus wants to fill her life with the overflowing life of God. He wants her to to have the spring of water, well enough to eternal life, as he says in verse 14. But in order to do that, she needs to come and believe in him. And in order for her to come to believe in him... Jesus has to confront her sin. There's no way around it. Just look at verse 14, or verse 13. Uh, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. And Jesus finds common ground. He's thirsty. So she, she's coming to draw water. Water is then where these two very different people begin a relationship of talking to one another. But he doesn't start well, does it? Because Jesus asks her for, for water and he never receives it, does he? She doesn't give him a drink that he asks for, not at any point. In fact, in some ways, she starts by giving him the cold shoulders in verse 9. Why is it that you, a Jew, are talking to me, a Samaritan woman? That would have been a very easy point to exit the conversation, but Jesus keeps on. First thing I want to say here is relationships don't always start well, do they? They don't always start on the right foot. Maybe you've got some non-Christian neighbours or friends at work. Or places where you're able to meet non-Christians and you've begun to speak to them about Christian things. It might be simply, like you're a Christian, you go to church, and it doesn't start well. They, they might give you the cold shoulder, as it were. They don't want to know about that sort of thing. And you can think, oh, well, that didn't go very well. Um, what do I do now? Well, sometimes we need to persist. It doesn't mean we badger people, but we persist with them. Uh, look for other opportunities to bring it in. Who knows where it might end up. The conversation here doesn't start well, but where it ends up is an amazing place. So as the conversation continues, Jesus is talking at one level, isn't he? He's talking, uh, not just he's using the metaphor of water, but he's talking about something that's much deeper. And she just doesn't seem to get it in verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw the water, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? She doesn't understand, does she? 
And then in verse 15, again, she sort of sarcastically maybe sort of says, oh, well, it's great if you can give me this endless source of water, then I won't have to come to this well and keep drawing. He doesn't really get what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about salvation, isn't he? But they're not on the same page. So Jesus goes a little bit deeper with her. He starts to confront her heart and her sin, her life. And then it's only at that point that Penny starts to drop with this lady, this woman. Look at verse 25. The woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I am the one, or I who am speaking to you, am he. And just look at verse 28. So the woman left the water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? See, it's only when Jesus confronts her. Go call your husband. I I don't have a husband. And Jesus knows. He says, that's right, you don't. In fact, you have many lovers and the one you have now is not your husband. It's only at this point that she begins to understand who Jesus is. It's only as he begins to engage in her life and tackle some of this ignorance that things change. And in the same way for us as a church, a church that needs to take risks in reaching those around us, a church that's willing to cross, to build bridges into the communities around us, both cross that bridge into a world that doesn't really know who we are, to bring an understanding of the gospel where there's no understanding, well that's down to us isn't it? People don't know what we believe. We need to help them understand. And I think when we come to the gospel, we need to not be too worried that we're not too precise. She doesn't really get all that Jesus is saying to her. She doesn't get the significance of all that Jesus is saying to her. She doesn't pray, pray a prayer of repentance. But she certainly has an encounter with Jesus, doesn't she? That has a huge impact on her and the community that she's from. The gospel confronts our spiritual ignorance and confronts our sin. And it's only the, the work of the Holy Spirit that can, that can bring understanding. That can, can, can bring the conviction of sin that we have and have our need to have that dealt with by Jesus. That's only the work of the Holy Spirit. But God has called us to work alongside him, hasn't he, to bring the gospel to our communities, to those outside the church. Our work is to make sure that the gospel is front and centre in all we do. And that means confronting people about sin. So that's the third obstacle, spiritual ignorance. Uh, Just one more that I want to bring. There's lots in here. Uh, Time's sake, we can only consider a few. Here's the last one. This is slightly different. Some of the obstacles that we looked at are physical, emotional, spiritual. And some obstacles are in our minds. And I think this is one. How do you judge whether you are being successful in bringing the gospel to your community? How do you judge whether you're successful as a Christian in reaching the lost? How do we know if ministry is working or not? What kind of things would you be looking for to judge whether you've had a successful ministry or the work of the church is being successful? Let's just read together a few of these uh, verses. 
The disciples come back, they see he's talking with the Samaritan woman, they, they know this is not normal, but they don't want to say anything. They bring food, they want Jesus to eat. And just start again in verse 34, Jesus says to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. Do you not say they are, they are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. But we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. The thrust of these verses is, is reaping and sowing, or sowing and reaping, fruit for harvest. This is a great encouragement for us to hear. But I think there's also an implication here that that you may sow, but you may never reap the rewards of what you sow. We want to see fruit, don't we? Of course we do. We want to see people coming to Christ. We want to see people in church, worshipping with us. We may want to start new works, carry on old ones. Sometimes we see little fruit from them. Does that mean that we have failed? Should that stop us from trying new things? If no, what if no one comes? What if it doesn't work? I want to ask the question in light of what Jesus says here. Can we be too short-sighted? Could we have too small a vision for God's work sometimes? These words are often quoted at the missions meetings and mission prayer meetings. Look, the, wheel, the fields are white for harvest... But think about where Jesus is. He's in Samaria. This is this probably would be not viewed, and certainly isn't viewed by the disciples, as a fruitful place for ministry. Yet Jesus says to them, lift up your heads, look. The fields are white for harvest. Imagine all these townsfolk coming from, from this village of Sychar. And they're all coming out to meet Jesus. And as Jesus is saying these words to his disciples, here they come. Look, lift up your heads, they're coming. You might not think this is a, a suitable place for ministry, but look at those that are coming. Jesus then says to the disciples, you're going to reap what you've not sown for. Some sow, others reap the harvest. Perhaps here in Otley, many have laboured over the years. Perhaps you have been here labouring many years. You've not seen fruit as you would like. Now it could be, it could be, That if we're faithful to sow and continue to sow the gospel, it could be that the generations coming behind behind us, God willing, will be those that reap the benefits of your hard work. The labour that you're putting in now into the ground around Otley and around the area. The privilege of of being those who are evangelising here and now. We want to see fruit, of course we do. But it might be that as you sow, those coming up behind will reap the benefits. 
So we must think of the mission of the church more widely. It is both laboring now in the present, yes, but also with an eye to a future, what legacy are you going to leave as a church for those coming behind you? For those who are going to take up the work after you? In that say, if you, if you read there, we don't have time to turn to it now, but, but Philip comes to Samaria and he reaps a harvest. He baptizes those who come to believe. Here is Jesus here, laying those seeds, sowing the gospel that Philip reaps in Acts 8. We want to see fruit, we pray for fruit, but let's be, have a wider vision that the effort you put in now might be the benefit of those who come behind you. Reaching people with the gospel has never been easy. Those who have been in Otley many years ago probably never found preaching the gospel here easy either. Yet people achieve great things when they trust God and overcome obstacles to reach the lost. The baton is in your hands for a moment, because that's all it is, it's for a moment. The the baton is in our hands in Nidderdale, but for a moment. To reach the community with the gospel that we live in. And that will mean overcoming many obstacles. Some of which we've mentioned this morning. uh, Many others that we've not. Taking risks. Doing things differently. Trying things that we don't know whether they will work or not. But uh, but willing to sacrifice time and energy to, to make that possible. Being willing perhaps to change things. To bring an unchanging gospel. To be understood by those around us. The truth is whatever you do this week. Whatever you're going to do in the coming months, and the coming years as a church, there will always be obstacles that may seem too daunting. But the Father is seeking worshippers. But Jesus has done everything to bring people to God, to receive eternal life. It is our, it is your and my food to do the will of him who has commissioned us to complete the task which we, which we have been given, but for a moment. It'd be a tragedy, wouldn't it? If because of our inability to overcome them obstacles, because of underlying prejudice perhaps within our heart, we fail to grasp Christ's mission with all our hearts and with all our minds and with all our strength. To make disciples of all nations, baptise them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Just very briefly, think back to those five young men who lost their lives to bring the gospel to those Orker Indians. Tragedy. Absolute tragedy. But not too long later, a few years or months later, two wives, two widows, go back with their children to that tribe. And they see immense fruit. They bring the gospel. People from that tribe begin to believe. A church is established. In fact, let me mention one thing. Uh, as they spent years with them in the jungle, communicating the gospel to them, seeing a church established. One of the sons of the men who had been killed was baptised by one of the killers. One of the men who speared his dad to, to death was the one who baptised his son. The gospel brings life. If we but persist, we may see fruit. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let's let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that Father, you would equip us and keep equipping us to reach those around us who desperately need your grace, your forgiveness and reconciliation. Father, when we feel that the darkness is ever more darker, we pray that we might know that your light can shine ever more brighter. We pray that you would grant us the strength, the physical and emotional strength, and spiritual strength to reach those around us. We pray your blessing upon all that goes on here at Bethel Church, Hartley. We pray you would grant all those who are involved uh, in different evangelism here at the church all that they need. Father, we pray you would help us, Father, as we mix with our neighbours, our work colleagues, our, our friends who don't know you. Help us, Father, to overcome any obstacle that lies before us. Because you are seeking worshippers. And, Father, because it is our food to do your will. And to see your work accomplished in this earth as long as we see it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.